how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? everybody this is Ryan and this is Louisa and you're listening to sober sex I made a promise to myself to stop not listening what it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality it started with putting down the substances really and starting to listen and the listening to my body has changed to welcome Dufflin Lammers to Sober Sex. Dufflin is a relationship and recovery coach, writer, and speaker. She has extensive experience with addiction and how it can affect all our relationships. She works with women who are struggling with fears of abandonment and fears of intimacy. Dufflin lives in Paris, France, and works remotely with clients all over the globe. I am proud to call her a dear friend and a colleague. Whoop! Welcome, Whoop. Dufflin! <laughs> Hey girls, what's up? I'm so happy you're here. Oh, and just a little shout out. Dufflin has a free workbook available on her website for our listeners called The One Thing You Need to Stop Doing Right Now If You Want Healthy Relationships and What to Replace It With. They'll be available in the show notes and available at www.dufflin.com. Which is both specific and mysterious, I have to say. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) What could this possibly be? I must find out. (laughs) How are you today, Jocelyn? Um, I'm pretty good. There's there's sun outside. I'm healthy. I'm here with you. What's there to complain about? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The sun is out in Paris. It's pretty joyful. So we always like to start the show with just a little check-in to see how everyone's doing. How are you today, Lou? I'm okay. I'm also like the the change in weather because it's been raining in Paris the last like two weeks has been revolutionary for my seasonal affective disorder. (laughs) So it was really nice to feel like, oh my God, there's like a light feeling in my chest as opposed to like feeling like carrying stones around, you know? And today I am feeling really kind of buoyant. Um, Yeah. I definitely felt like we went from summer to winter and someone stole autumn, which is my favorite season. So I was so bummed out (laughs) that autumn got stolen and I'm thrilled it's returned for its second act just for today (laughs) just for today (laughs) yeah cool so um jumping in (laughs) let's just jump straight in dufflin uh what were some of the early messages you received around sex and sexuality i love this question um because i feel like there's there's so many messages. And I feel like one of the big things that came through for me was that sex is dangerous and powerful. Mm. And, um, and in a number of different ways. And also that love is dangerous and powerful, like together and separate. And I remember being like, a little kid and like, When I was maybe four years old, my parents divorced and I went to live with my dad. And so I was raised by a single parent dad. And I remember one day um, standing on the heating grate and like, like full on Marilyn Monroe style, only I'm four and I've never seen Marilyn Monroe, but I'm, (laughs) I'm loving it. And I'm just like standing there and I'm like, what is this? You know? (laughs) And um, my dad came out and, and caught me basically. And I had this feeling of like, Oh, am I caught? Because was I doing something wrong? Was I doing something bad? Like the look on his face was unreadable to me because I had never seen anyone respond to my sexuality, you know? And and that's the first moment I remember like any message about any sexuality, um, consciously, you know, and then cut to the first time I fell in love I was 14 um, and and I had this awesome boyfriend and this summer I had to go away to visit my mom because that was the only time I saw her. And and my mom and I went out to see Les Folies Bergères. So these like gorgeous, rhinestoned, half-naked women. We got pretty lit because uh, they evidently will kick you off the floor for gambling. But if you're 14 and you want to drink, that's totally fine. 
So, um, <laughs> so me and my mom, Pia, you know, drunk, watching naked women, we go back home. Um, and I remember asking her, I want to know why you and dad got divorced. And she started mm-hmm. to cry. And she was like, you have no idea how hard it's been for me. And I was like, okay. And she proceeded to tell me a story that completely broke my heart and kind of put me in a position where I was like, I don't know who to believe. Um, I went home, I wrote it in my diary, and my dad read my diary. Oh, my God. I know, I know. And then came to me and said, right? Um, So then he comes to me with tears in his eyes, and he says, you know, I'm sorry that your mother told you this, but it's not true. So, so, you know, I was sort of stuck between the two of them. And, and it was a story about, you know, infidelity in their marriage. Um, so forever after, you know, I was like, no one can be trusted. Um, everybody cheats and lies. And, you know, and I was in love for the first time. So I took that back into my relationship. And, and that's where, you know, I feel like that sort of pattern began for me, you know, which was definitely something that I saw grow later on. Gosh, just in terms of like kind of anxious attachment. Yeah. Um, and I would have characterized myself in pre-sobriety as disorganized, uh, which is to say mm-hmm. both anxious and avoidant. Mm-hmm. On off, on off, on off, on off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come here, go away. Come here, I go away. Uh-huh. Relate. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. Because um, I think it could be really helpful for our listeners to also hear about how that eventually led into your recovery and what an incredible recovery you have. Um, it's such, it's beaming, it's fantastic, it's inspiring. We love you. So tell us, how did that lead into your recovery? Thank you, sweetheart. Um, Wow. Well, I feel like for me, those relationship issues were what I drank over. So first they led me to, to drink and use. Um, and then eventually, you know, when I was, I moved to Los Angeles, I was living with my on again, off again boyfriend. And at that point we were somewhat on, I went out to a comedy show I was completely jacked up on cocaine at this point. Woo! Um, good times. And, <laughs> and on the way home, I drove past a gas station and, and I stopped to get gas and I saw the cutest cowboy I had ever seen in my life. I love this story. And, yes. and I was like, if that man comes over here, I'm giving him my phone number. And he did come over and he asked me if he could borrow a pen and he got the pen and my phone number he didn't ask for it, but I gave it to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I went on a few days with that guy and he shared with me that he was in recovery. And when he stopped returning my phone calls, uh, because he soon realized that I was not in recovery, <laughs> uh, you know, when I, I did things like excuse myself to go to the bathroom and he was like, why are you taking your coat? Which was a funny question because I was naked at the time. And I, I was... <laughs> I was taking my coat because the cocaine was okay. in my coat, right? Cool. Of course, like, <laughs> duh. Relatable. So, so yeah. So when he stopped returning my phone calls, I went to uh, the rooms of, you know, the the twelve step rooms, looking for him, basically. And so stalking got me sober. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> the bottom we line about story. that. So, so yeah, the relationship stuff led me to drink and use, but it also led me to get sober. Like that's what was always motivating me behind everything was I just wanted to love and be loved, and don't we all? Yeah, which is such a beautiful, like, compassionate view of oneself. You know, when we're sick, like that's often it. You know, I heard somebody share once about like. I was just like a kid who wanted to feel okay, you know, and like who can, I think all of the kind of shame and baggage we carry around drinking and using or acting out sexually, like all that stuff can kind of be boiled down to exactly what you just said, you know, just wanting to love and be loved, just wanting to feel okay, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like who knew that it could come with such a heavy cost, but um, the ability to kind of self-regulate in recovery is such a fucking miracle. Hmm. Oh my God. Um, So fast forward, like, (laughs) 
what happened since then? Like, how have your attitudes around this changed since you got sober? And what did this evolution look like in in practice or process? Like, how how do you feel like you kind of got well in that area, both recovery and uh, like around relationship stuff? I feel like, you know, coming into recovery for me, because I actually, I quit drinking um, when I was 23, which was about eight years before I met that cowboy. But I thought that, uh, yeah, uh, on my own with, you know, without a group or help from anybody or even therapy, um, I just decided that drinking, uh, well, actually, I had a boyfriend who broke up with me over it. So again, the relationship Mm -hmm. stopped. Um, but, But I kept using drugs. And same, same. Uh, <laughs> yay, I'm not alone. Um, <laughs> you are not alone. It does take a special kind of crazy to be like, oh, no more alcohol, but definitely more cocaine. <laughs> right? Thank you. Love intensity. This is the thing that is working. <laughs> How did I? <laughs> right? And it worked. When it worked, it worked. And, you know, then it didn't. And uh, And so, like, coming into recovery – um, and, and giving up the drugs also, um, was on the heels, you know, of losing that guy, the, the cowboy. Right. And, and then also leaving my other relationships. So I actually left a nine year on again, off again relationship on the day I got sober. Um, I was as much addicted to that guy as I was to any substance ever in my mind. Um, and I saw myself as a victim, I think you know, was my attitude was like, the world is out to get me. Men suck. No one's ever going to love me. It must be because I'm broken. You know, all that just like full on victim mentality. And I started to take responsibility for that. Um, Self-responsibility is is a really big thing for me. And that was the beginning of self-love. Being able to say, okay, here's my part and here's what I can do to change it. Because then, you know, because I believe like, I, I may be powerless, but I'm not helpless because I'm willing to accept help. So when I say yes to that, when someone reaches out their hand to me and I take it, then I'm empowering myself by accepting that help. And that gave me a new perspective where I saw myself as brave, where I saw myself as the hero, where I went from fear to faith, basically. That's so beautiful. That's so incredible. I've never heard you express it like that before. And the fact that you gave yourself the present of agency over your choices, yet you admitted, like we do in 12-step around this kind of idea of powerlessness, but you took charge of not stepping in and living in that victim role. Because I, I know from my own recovery, like that is one of the most hardest things, especially if you grow up in dysfunctional families or creative family or whatever that looks like (laughs) to not just suddenly be like attached to that that this happened to me space to like I'm a grown-ass woman now I can step into my power like how happy I want to be is dependent on how how much I want to kind of weight I want to give that and and move away from that so yeah, it's it's a profound message and one that I super affiliate with. I just love it. Thank you. And just to kind of speak to like the importance of like powerless but not helpless, you know, because I think that like it's that it sounds like that's a turning point for a lot of us, um, especially in kind of mutual aid societies where like our the the greatest kind of um treacheries of our our (laughs) sordid pasts actually are the most like helpful things to other people who have been through the same thing the wounded healer model you know it's like there there's no uh possibility to be of service to other people if i'm still trapped in my victim mentality you know absolutely absolutely i remember the first time i heard someone say that i had my astrology chart done and she said oh you have chiron and aries you're the wounded healer and i was like i am now i'm like are we also (laughs) right like so true who is chiron in and what is what is she doing with aries (laughs) making out making out having a naughty naughty little affair (laughs) They are. Chiron is in Aries right now. I know. I know. (laughs) 
that is definitely happening. <laughs> Some <Okay>. witches. Uh, <laughs> I, oh, yeah, I forgot to say Duffin's also a witch. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. So this has been a kind of hot topic of our in our conversations of late, and we'd love to get your take on it specifically. What are your feelings on sex and love as a disease model as in, do you think sex addiction actually exists? Okay, so there's a lot of controversy in the field of addiction about sex and love addiction both. And I feel like one thing that really sort of separates sex and love addiction from other addictions is that no one ever that I've heard of as a small child or teenager grows up thinking, God, I hope someday I'm going to be a junkie. <laughs> no one it, like yeah. aspires to become a, addicted to a substance. Um, and <laughs> Louisa's wincing. No, no, I just like, as I, you know, I, I feel like I worshiped kind of like live fast, die like rock and rollers and, and kind of um, self-destructive maniac punk rockers as a, as a kid. And so I, <laughs> I might beg to differ, but I also think that like the, it sounds like the tra trajectory you're talking about is like versus the fairy tale ideals sold. <laughs> yeah, but you're not talking about being like, you weren't just like specifically, I want to be like shooting cocaine into my eyeballs. You were like in love with the darkness yeah. in a way. Yeah, right. No, totally, and and I think that like it that's a much smaller section of the population than the kind of fairy tale princess model that we're sold, as, especially young women. Yeah, like, and that, sorry. No, actually, I think that's a really good point, Louisa, because there is a romanticization of especially the artist mm -hmm. um, as a destructive force. And that people aspire to, but I don't think that they're literally, like Rose said, aspiring to put a needle in their arm and, you know, and lose their soul. Like that, yeah. that's not what they're aspiring to is the fairy tale romance. And for me, that is intrinsically a part of um, what I call love addiction. But yeah, no, no, like all little girls, every single one without fail think oh and and little boys too you know think oh i hope someday i'll fall in love every single one whereas yes there are there are some of us who look at jimi hendrix and think he's a god how can i be like him you know what i mean um heroin <laughs> yeah you know so uh i think that that's one you know sort of big difference and i think there's also a big difference in the sense that uh with sex and love addiction, um, the object, so to speak, is not an object. It's a person, mm, right? Yeah. So when on, I no, run me through that, I'm not going to, the object is not. Meaning the object of our obsession, our compulsion, and the thing that we build tolerance with and find negative consequences in, because those are the definitions of addiction, obsession, mm -hmm. compulsion, tolerance, negative consequences is a person and our relationship with that person, which is dynamic because the person is responding. The substance is not responding. Gambling is right. not responding. Absolutely. Right. It's one thing to object objectify cocaine. It's another thing to objectify a living, breathing human being. Right. Yes, exactly. Uh, and, and, and so there's a dynamic there. Like the other person is a person and therefore they're participating. There's input in a way that there can't be in, in any other addiction. Um, so I think it's it's different in those ways. Um, and it's also been argued by scientists, which, you know, have much more information than I, that the chemicals we are addicted to can be both endogenic and exogenic, which is to say inside your body and outside your body. Huh. Hmm. So if I go through a process, whatever that process is, uh, similar to gambling, um, you know, if if my texting a certain guy makes me um, release a certain hormone in my brain and then I feel high from that hormone, is that the same thing as me ingesting a substance from outside my body and feeling high from that substance? Hmm. So that's sort of the argument. And um, I think that I think more will be revealed. 
Yeah, and hmm. I, I think to kind of what we were speaking to in our last conversation about this, um, the idea is like it's it's not so much the behavior that can be pathologized, like just because you love kinky sex doesn't make you a sex addict. It's more the relationship, as you said, with the chemicals and the reaction that's going on physiologically that creates the kind of addictive state. It's not the behavior itself. It's the reaction to the behavior, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, Maya Savovitz, who wrote Unbroken Brain, talks about how, you know, if the um, substance or behavior you're engaging with makes you mean and dull and, you know, destructive and horrible, then it might be an addiction. And if it brings you joy and love and productivity, probably not. Hmm. You know, so I think it's, it's also about how, how it's affecting you and your hmm. life, you know? So again, negative consequences. I mean, I feel like that's the, that's the biggest um, definition for me, because all those things, you know, when you have all those things, obsession, compulsion, tolerance, and negative consequences, it's really easy to see. But the negative consequences um, for me are the easiest one to define. Yeah, for sure. Fantastic. It's really good to get your take on that. And just thinking about like, I'm going to go off slightly off the, the question here, but curious to hear like what some things you might do to work with somebody or help them see that you know, the behavior is negative, for example. Because I think often what my experience has been with addiction or working with a client who's addicted, to see the behavior as negative because it's been so habitual is one of the hardest things to break in denial, right? So how might you... Um, how might you pose questions around that to kind of break, break the mirror, break the denial, break the facade that um, somebody who comes to you with destructive behavior in this area, um, how would you, how might you kind of, I can't think of what work I'm trying to it. say, work through it. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I think, I mean, I hear what you're saying and it, it is, I mean, that's the, that's the first step is to recognize the consequences and, and many times that's really difficult to overcome. And it's exactly like you said, like posing the questions, motivational interviewing, you know, holding up a mirror. And I believe that we have to be a loving mirror, which is to say, if I'm haranguing the person and I'm nagging, scolding and complaining, mm. they're not going to hear me. If I can be a loving mirror and, you know, and communicate to them with my um, active listening and with my voice and with the container that I've created, that they're in a safe place and, and simply ask them, okay, what's the benefit of continuing as you are? And what do you, what do you lose by continuing as you are? Right. And what's the benefit of maybe making a change? And what do you lose by making a change? Mm. So that they get very clear about the choice that they're making. Mm. Many times that can at least put a little crack in the armor. Mm. Uh, because that's the whole thing too is, you know, it's it's their coping mechanism. We know this. It's been keeping them safe for a long time. So there's no like magic word that anyone's going to say that's going to, you know, that's going to completely dismantle that armor, but a little chink at a time, if you can begin to let a little crack of light in and they can feel that and see that and they know that they're safe, it gives them at least an opportunity. And, and sometimes that's the best we can do is give them an opportunity, like I said, to, so that they know that they may feel powerless, but they're not helpless. And all they have to do is take the hand that's offered. Beautiful. Oh, your clients are very lucky. Oh, thank you. Indeed. Uh, but hearing you speak about that definitely like related to that, like, you know, that, that place of security that can be chaos of like when I'm in active addiction for anything, you know, it's like one problem. <laughs> and when I'm in recovery, many problems, like, you know, like the ability to focus on this one thing obsessively is taken from me <laughs> because like suddenly I have an actual life. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's such Today a good point. <laughs> Today, many Today, problem. many problems. It's good, though. Yeah, what a blessing. <laughs> yeah, all these fancy ass problems. So, 
getting specific about you as a coach, what do people come to you specifically for? So I call myself a relationship and recovery coach. And I say that because my, my particular expertise is working with women who are struggling with relationships in recovery. So many of them, they're either relapsing over relationships or they're going through a divorce and they've just gotten sober or they've been sober for a few years, but they just can't seem to figure out relationships and they're miserable. Um, you know, and a lot of it is uh, the question of chasing unavailable people, right. um, saying yes when they want to say no, um, you know, and, and and they begin to see sort of patterns uh, of things like that. And maybe something I've said has, you know, has kind of rung a bell for them. And a lot of times women get referred to me from uh, from other people who, who know what I do and who know what I know, you know. Um, but I, and I work a lot from my own story, you know, because a lot of, I, I feel like experience is super, super valuable and, and having the education is important too. But when I can say to somebody, I relate and I've been where you are, and I know that you can get to the other side because I did, and here's mm. how I did it. Mm. I think it's so brilliant that now coaches are stepping into that space a space where therapists can't go really because they're not trained in that way to do that whereas we get to use our experience and help people and it does turn out to be therapeutic right and a lot of therapists are now training to be coaches so they have, can do that yeah and I think our experience too as storytellers as artists as creative people is super valuable as well because that's what we're doing you know, they're, they're like when I, when I spoke at ICAT, I was talking about, um, the power of story. And so if a story is a character who wants something overcomes great obstacles to get it and is forever changed in the process, well, that's the story of every person in recovery. Amen, Joseph Campbell. <laughs> yeah. We love a hero's journey. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Because that, and that's, you know, that's it. That's from fear to faith. Like that's, that's the story that, that we all need to go on. That's the journey. Right. So, but we know that because we, we are creative people and we've been practicing it for a while already. And kind of speaking about story, what are some myths about dating and recovery or romance and recovery that you'd like dispelled? I feel like one <laughs> myth, and I mean, I don't know if this is a myth for everybody else, but when I was new in recovery, I had the impression that I was suddenly expected to become a nun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, that I was like, oh, now I must be a saint and I will never show cleavage again. And <laughs> thou shalt not fuck on the first date and all that crap, you know? And I think that's just BS. Uh, you know, what's important is that you do you. What's important is that you honor your authentic self and your your own sex ideal, whatever that is, right? But there's no one size fits all. And that's as much of a, you know, bummer as, as being in active addiction is, mm. you know, like being expected to just be a certain way because that's the way to be. No, the whole point for me anyway, and, and, and I, I believe in general of recovery is that you get to return to your authentic self. Mm. To recover it for sure. Yeah. Yes. God, that's beautiful. And it is precisely the reason we started this podcast because we were like, done with the nun theology (laughs) unless that's for you yeah exactly like but let it be known actually didn't you go as a nun a latex nun for halloween that's (laughs) awesome yeah you look great as a (laughs) plastic nun (laughs) but it was a sexy choice dollification we love it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah the this is a platform for for really just sort of like cracking that myth wide open because i think it's toxically dangerous and generally can get really misconstrued and is a real turnoff in recovery it's like no you get to have fun and freedom here and have all sorts of weird sex if you so desire yeah yeah and you don't have to do that either it's like whatever whatever floats your boat but like let's say that everything is on the table or off the table but like 
again, like whatever your heart desires. But I think that there is, you know, some wisdom in that not necessarily don't date for the first year, but kind of like maybe go through the steps or at least a few of the steps, get to your ninth step. What are you talking about? I know. (laughs) But like, here's the beauty of like having a a program based on spiritual principles, right? That it means that like, should it be the will of whatever higher power you're investing in, like it's going to be okay, you know, which is, I yeah. truly believe the case in your relationship. I mean, it has to, I do always, to people when women in recovery come to me, I'm like, so I've got this relationship thing. I'm like, if you want to make your recovery extra hard, <laughs> get in a relationship, like the, while you're trying to get sober. Yeah. Because I swear to God, I always say that I've got eight years clean and sober. I actually feel like I probably just got four because I have to like work double time, you know, <laughs> because I've been in a relationship since I got sober and it, it, a relationship is a mirror, right? What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, I feel like if you're, I think it depends on how you come in. Like if you come in and you're in a relationship and you're getting sober in that relationship, then no, no, like, great, you know? And I also don't think it's, it's like, Sorry, I'm just thinking about myself. That's like, <laughs> shocking. <laughs> like not, not suitable to be anywhere near other human beings for about the first nine months. Anyway. Yeah. Well, because, and that's the thing, like I, I was, I was completely unpartnerable. I was not, no, uh-uh, you know, no, that was not possible for me. I didn't know it. I really thought that like I, I had it going on, you know? Yeah. I was like, I'm a catch. What are you talking about? And I'm sober. And plus I'm now sober. So like really, you know, I was like, I'm going to get married to Matt Dillon and I'm going to win an Oscar sometime in the next six months. Shout out Matt Dillon. Went on a date with him once. You did? How cute. Yeah, and he was like, oh, fuck, you're 24. <laughs> yeah, in recovery. Bless. Nice. Holla, Matt Dillon. Holla. Holla. Of, oh, my God. I can't believe that. It was great. I love Matt Nothing Dillon. Nothing happened because he was like, oh, you're a baby. You're a little <laughs> baby. baby. So cute. He bought me a drink once, but we never actually went on a date. You guys. But how cute fuck? that we have that connection. Who knew? Amazing. <laughs> what is that called? It's probably racist. Oh god! <laughs> when, when it's like you have both have sex with the same person, but it's just dating this time. I don't know. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. I, I don't know. <laughs> so let's talk about something I really struggle with, and actually sent you a text about at the weekend. Um, <laughs> I've which, actually also called you about this specifically. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Dufflin is the go-to relationship coach. So, and can be the, well, I don't know why I've had to go back over and read this bit, but it's, <laughs> it's my favorite line in all the questions. It can be the ultimate boner killer when it's murky as fuck. How do you relate finance and intimacy for a couple when there can be an imbalance in earnings? Oh, girl because <laughs> you guys know I mean I've scr- I've I've really struggled with this myself as well in in recent years and you know and I so I've done a lot of work around it and I've done a lot of research and and I feel like you know it's it's different for every couple because ultimately the answer that I came up with is is each couple has to figure it out for themselves as to what's going to be comfortable for them right but along the way boundaries and communication, are of the utmost importance. So for me, that meant figuring out what am I comfortable with and what am I not comfortable with and being super honest with myself about that, you know, like where's the line and, um, and seeing it from the other person's point of view as well, because, you know, the shoe can always be on the other foot. I, I, every good coach has a coach and I have a coach too, Yeah, you know, and, and she reminded me, you know, it may not be this way forever. How would you want him to help you? How would you want him to treat you in this situation? And that's kind of always, you know, the golden rule. Um, and, um, and then communicating it with your partner. And I feel like I got some great guidance around this, um, to set specific times to have conversations about money. So that it's not leaking into the rest of your relationship and especially not in bed. Exactly. Like, oh, don't have that conversation in bed. No. 
<laughs> no. And if you don't have the conversation, it'll come up in the bedroom is the thing. So you, you know, like you have to have the conversation. Yeah. And, and exactly. So boner killer is the most apropos phrase I've ever heard. And what's the female equivalent of that? I don't um, Dry old. Dry snatch. Dry old. Dry pouch. Sad kitty. This episode is also called Dry Pouch. <laughs> this next title we have so far. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, but so those so setting times to have like financial family meeting. And if there's only two people in that meeting, then you know that's that's what it is. Yeah. And and having the tough conversations and being honest with your partner as well. And then, you know. And sticking to the boundaries, like that's a big, a, a really hard thing for me, mm-hmm. you know, whatever stuff comes up and you want to be generous and loving with your partner. And I always have to ask myself, like, are, are you doing this because you want to or because you feel guilty? Oh. Right. Um, and so checking, checking my own motivations um, when I do stuff like that. And then also, you know, my coach also taught me. If you're doing something to rescue the other person, you are making them weak. Mm. Ooh, you're not helping. Your helping isn't helping. Ouchie. Right? No, I know. So all of that has been super helpful for me. But it's a, you know, that's a work in progress, yo. Mm. Yeah. And also, I think just to kind of speak to that, because I've also, that's come up and we both discussed it at length. Uh (laughs) Everybody in this conversation. Um, the idea of either like, am I willing to express if I'm in a relationship at present, am I willing to uh, accept the person as they are if nothing changes? Yeah. Or, or does something have to change in order for me to conceive of a long-term relationship with them? You know, because like, especially right now, these are uncertain financial times. And if nothing changes, like, am I still down for this? Um, and like, Either I was told either like the person will change or my higher power will change my heart around the situation. And like for me, the latter happened, but it also took a lot of getting clarity about my own finances because I was hiding out in vagueness and feeling super uncomfortable all the time and kind of freaked out about spending or not spending and kind of like a little bit financially anorexic. And it was very helpful to get a specific financial coach just to teach me how to like budget and use money as energy as opposed to feeling it like super personally and like, like, um, uh, take like thinking my finances were a reflection of my spirit. You know, it's like this is just energy. You yeah. know, in the same way, like calories are just energy. It's not. Um, it's not like. Uh, I don't know a ledger from from God being like you're a bad person if you overspend. It's like no, you just have to like learn how to fucking write it. Down. Yeah, a hundred percent. Having my having my own clarity, which is why I say boundaries, like being really, really clear about what works for me and what doesn't, which involves first having the the courage to look at my own finances and know what's up. Absolutely, you're a hundred percent on point. Word. Mm. And second of all, fun other hot topic: boner killer <laughs> slash dry pouch situation. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jealousy. Oh, I hate jealousy. Make me go away. What things could a person do in a relationship to build trust if they have no experience of shit working out and destroying their partner with their own past jealousy sack? Baggage. Somebody Baggage. used the word sack so much in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> <Sack>. Baggage. <laughs> Sack of green-eyed monster. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you guys know that this has been a huge odyssey for me, really. Um, and and something that started, you know, back when I was in love for the first time when I was 14, and I think started with that conversation with my mom. And, you know, what what happened for me was I had to become really clear about exactly what jealousy is. So, as opposed to envy. So jealousy is the fear of losing something that you have. And envy is the fear that someone else has something that belongs to you. Gosh. I've never heard of it like that. Je- can you repeat that again? That's my definition. So so jealousy is the fear of losing something that you have. And envy is the fear that someone else has something that belongs to you or should belong to you. 
gosh. Right. So that clarity really helped me to get to the bottom of it and to understand that jealousy is about fear. Like it's fear. It's just, you know, a thousand forms of fear. Well, here's one of those hmm. thousand forms of fear is I'm, an afra- I'm afraid that someone's going to take this person away from me. And the way I worked through that was to begin with self-responsibility again, because I needed to learn that I could sit with the feeling, I could sit with the uncertainty, I could sit with the silence, and and to be able to see it, to be able to see where is that really coming from, you know, to to get to just even to get to that idea of fear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then to give myself a little bit of a reality check and be able to talk to myself in that moment and kind of coach myself through it and say, okay, what's really going on here? What are the facts? You know, and I like to use that, um, Byron Katie's four questions. Do you know that? Oh, we love Byron Byron Katie. Katie. We have the Byron Katie app. Yeah. Oh, so cute. The old BK. I love her so much. So Byron Katie's four questions, you know, it's so, is it really true? You know, so identifying that thought that you're thinking that you're scaring the shit out of yourself with of he's going to leave me. Is it true? No, no, he's right <laughs> here. He's come home every night for the last, you know, 365 nights or whatever it is. And he's right here. And I'm okay, actually, in this moment, you know, and how do I feel when I think that thought terrified mm, that bad. he's going to leave me, um, you know, and who would I be without that thought? Happy, joyous and free. yeah right and then I do the turnaround and that's the super awesome part of like actually he's 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 with me I'm fine he's right here with me and I'm okay so I can walk myself through that little process and that saved my life many many times just to be able to soothe myself and sometimes I still then have to go on a walk or take a bath or dance or do something you know because sometimes action is required because this is about relational trauma, which we know is stored in the body, right? So sometimes I have to move it physically out of my body to be able to go on. Even even if I've done the work with my mind, then I have to do the work with my body. Um, And after I have done all that, after I have done all that, then uh, I can go to my partner and I can say, I'm really embarrassed, but I'm feeling jealous about blah, 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 you know, and just, just, just to admit it. Mm. And my partner may or may not yet know how to reassure me, but that's their opportunity, right? And if they don't yet know how, then we can learn that together, but there's nothing wrong with asking for reassurance, that's completely normal in a relationship to say to somebody, hey, I'm feeling insecure. And, and to have a partner who can say, oh, Bubby, you're so cute. I have no interest in that person. You have nothing to fear. Come here, you know, and give you a big hug and we're good. Mm. There's, there's nothing wrong with asking for that and giving your partner the opportunity to show up and be your hero because he probably would love to. Oh, I love that. Indeed. And not, <laughs> not what is it, sulking, which is like not asking for what I want, expecting mind reader and then resenting when I don't get it. <laughs> and or um, like expecting a mind reader in terms of what, what soothing, what reassurance might look like. You know, I might have to ask for it explicitly. And that's not a mark on their character. That's like an opportunity to, to, for us to grow together, right? Absolutely. Because they need to learn what you need. They may not know what you need. You know, but, but, but we, like, that's what I mean when I say self-responsibility. My responsibility is to know what I need. I need to know what I need and then communicate it to the other person. Otherwise, yeah, like, they can't read my mind. Sadly. Yeah. No, it's just, it's, it can be tough, especially if you can express needs and then they don't necessarily get met because we live in a reality that's like complex. And as we talked about at the beginning, like, this is not an object. This is another human being who has another set of needs, you know, but at least to like, be able to have the conversations, right. That like, just because I need you to like, not do that thing with that other person, because I feel jealous that other, your, my partner might be like, it's a non-negotiable, but I hear you and I love you mm-hmm. and I'm willing to kind of like 
be present with you and your need, even if I can't change my plan to appease you, you know, and to learn how to like, as you said, like self-soothe in a way that's like, actually, I got to look out for my kind of inner child who feels freaked out and vulnerable. Like I cannot expect this person to like drop everything just to kind of come soothe me because it is unrealistic. And it's also kind of selfish and disrespectful. Right. But man, that took a fucking long time. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it's, hard though. it's hard to do that. I mean, I have been struggling with this one personally, which I just feel so ashamed about, which is like, oh, thanks, babes. <laughs> but it's the first I just had like a really beautiful moving experience with it. I was like sat in meditation and it came up again and I just sat with it and watched it shift and like a detective in my own life was just like what's going on here Rose let's think about (laughs) like exactly as you just said definitely let's think about the last eight years you know but what my mind will want to do because I'm in recovery will go to like that one time where it was like not the case you know pre prior relationship or something (laughs) And like hyperfixate on something that was like when we were ambiguous in our couple and we were both still seeing other people, you know? And then I'd just be like, but that's not now. Like, Mm. and that really isn't now and you don't have an accurate. And just to watch it shift was just so beautiful. And also just moving on to this next thing about how it gets stuck in the body. I noticed when I up the shake, like one thing that I've been doing is TRE. I think I've talked to you about this, which is tra- trauma response exercises, which are a way of getting your body into a shake, um, which look a lot like squats, but generally just ha- like getting your body in a certain place so it sort of shakes it out that you release some of this. Ooh. Because this is all stored in our goddamn fascia and our nervous system deeply, deeply, deeply. And so I want to ask you about the 30-day dance challenge. What is it all about? And where can people get involved with that? Um, This thing just kind of happened, you know, because, I mean, I've always done ecstatic dance and I I learned about some of what you're talking about, the shaking through um, Tantra. And then um, I don't even know who it was who said this. I heard somewhere like dance to a song every day for 30 days. And I was in a little bit of a funk and I was like, I'm going to try that. And so I just did it. And, and then I was sharing about it in a video on my Instagram and somebody else who was following me was like, Dufflin, I love this. I'm going to do it. And then her friend was like, I love this. I'm going to do it. And so yesterday I got on a live with Peyton Kennedy from She Recovers and she does shout out out to the goddess. Um, I just love her. So she does She Recovers dance. So she leads women every Friday night on She Recovers dancing together all over the world. And of course she's trained in this and and the trauma recovery and all of that. Um, But it's just such a joyful experience. So we got on a live and and she kind of led us through a little dance experience. And I mean, it's just, it's like for fun and for free on Instagram. Like anybody who wants to do it can do their little video of them dancing and hashtag dance a day. Nice. Love it. Love it. Love it. So people can, if they follow you, you're at Dufflin Lammers on Instagram, right? Just at Dufflin. Damn, oh, girl. Dufflin. First name basis with the Woo! internet. <laughs> right? That's it. <laughs> um, and to kind of rewind, you mentioned Tantra. We're really curious about that experience for you. I I can't even, like, I love Tantra so much. And it's still such a mystery to me. I feel like there's as many definitions for Tantra as there are people willing to speak about it. And for me, it's really been about like getting back into my body. And, and like I said, my, my teacher in Los Angeles, her name is Dawn Cartwright is a Neo Tantra teacher, which is to say she brings in a lot of these things like shaking and ecstatic dance and, um, and movement therapy you know, so it really incorporates a lot of different things. But underneath all of it, I, I think it's about, you know, love as a spiritual experience and sex as a spiritual experience and a sacred thing. And that having two sides, you know, the dark and the light, the yin and the yang, the go and the flow, whatever you want to call it, and being able to explore that within yourself. So ultimately, it's about self-knowledge. Mm, fantastic. So how would you say as talking about like spirituality and something we talk about in 12-step recovery is this idea of a sex ideal 
um, which is who do you want to show up as as a romantic partner and how has that changed over time? Do you have a current sex ideal you're working with <laughs> that you'd like to share Kelly with us? <laughs> <laughs> I just finished watching Game of Thrones and I was like, I love her. She's like the warrior queen. Um, you know, she's like a a, a super – Mother of dragons. What? <laughs> Mother of dragons. Mother of dragons. I'm like, that's (laughs) my sex ideal. Mother of dragons. A hundred percent. Sick. What I love about that is like, it's, it's a modern, it's Khaleesi, but it's a modern day image of Kali, which is the Indian Mm. goddess. That's the creator and the destroyer. And so like, that's what I see because sex can be both of those things. And there is the dark and the light and the yin and the yang and all of that. Right. Um, and for me, the power is in being able to accept all of that within yourself because you can't know yourself if you're only willing to see what's good about you. Mm. you you've got to see both sides. And, and, like, and there's great power in knowing your weaknesses. There's great you know, redemption in knowing where you've got cracks. Um, you know what I mean? Because, if, if, because once you're aware of them, then you own them. Right. And I feel that that's true when it comes to sex as well. It's like, how can I, like, if I have some weird kinky idea that I'm afraid to say, am I going to go into shame about it or am I going to embrace it and allow it? You know, and, and, and in that way, embrace and allow all of who I am. Mm-hmm. Fuck yes. <laughs> Fuck yes over sex. <laughs> yes, so the sex. So you are also a creator and a performer. Does your sexuality influence that part of your work life, Mike, and your creativity? A hundred percent. Yeah, because again, the the creator, right? So like that's in for me intrinsically connected. Um and I feel like too, there have been times in my life where like if they're so connected that like, if I'm not, and for me, my primary uh, medium is writing. So if I'm not writing, I might get a little funked up in the bedroom and I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't had sex in three weeks. What's going on? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and vice versa. So having a healthy like connection with myself and, and it, I don't have to have like explosive, hot, lustful, bang in sex every time, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be that in the same way that like not everything I write is going to be, you know, in, in a certain vein, like I write memoir. And so there's like, there's a space for you're writing a scene and then there's a space for your writing summary. And there's just, there's different, um, mm. colors, right? Just like if you were painting, there's different colors. So it's the same for me with, with sexuality and sensuality. So like one day it might just be about like, I'm going to take a bath, mm. you know, yeah. but being in touch with my body and the sensations and the pleasure and the deliciousness and juiciness of my little body. Gorgeous. It sounds really kind of connected to that Audre Lord idea of like, the erotic can be found as much in the bedroom as in like painting a fence or writing a poem. It's like the the connection to that vit- vital energy is the thing that makes everything kind of uh, feel like magical and powerful and awake. Yes. I love <laughs> yes. And we love Audre Lorde. I remember when I first read her when I, when I was at Sarah Lawrence and God, what a goddess. But yeah, a hundred percent. And that that idea, that's something that I learned from Tantra. That that's that's where that comes from for me. Um that just that energy, like to be able to harness that energy. I remember one day I was living in Venice for the summer and I went out on the Vaporetto and it makes this noise like like this deep grinding noise, right? And I was on it and I was by myself and I sat down on the seat and it was like vibrating and I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and I and then like the wind blew on my face and like I was looking at the waves. So all my senses were engaged and I was like, I am making love with the world right now. Oh, fuck mm. yeah. Right? Like, holy shit. I was like, there it is. Like we're all doing it all the time. Beautiful. That's beautiful. I love that, mate. Like, we'll change the name of the episode from Dry Sack 
Pouch. pouch. <laughs> to making love with the world right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dufflin. <laughs> um, and so kind of in, within that, like, how do you play? either alone or with a partner, like how do you express this in your, in your life on a daily basis? With toys. <laughs> uh, uh, please unpack that for us. Uh, yes. yeah. Girl. Um, no, I feel like, how do I play? I mean, often and with enthusiasm, hopefully, right? Like I, I feel like Play is super important, and I define that as something. Well, and I because I've I've studied a little bit about it that has no purpose and no goal, mm-hmm. you know, and that you lose time while you're doing it. So your dancing yes. sounds like a play, a hundred percent. Yeah, the dancing is is is. I mean, you know, it may be purposeful when you sit down to do it, but at some point, you're just dancing. And, um, and I think a lot of things can be play and, you know, um, the most important thing about play is to remember to do it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. (laughs) Like most important things, right? Right. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And how are you growing today, Dufflin? Uh, couples therapy. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I feel like sometimes, um, I can get stuck in this idea that because uh, I work in the area of sex, love, and relationships and recovery, that my relationship should be perfect always. Um, and my relationship is good. And and I'm all about, like, let's get to the next level. Mm. You know? So that's oh, where I'm growing now. Yeah. And it's fucking, it's brilliant. I love it. And what an amazing thing to have a partner that's down, you know? Yes. Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> it's everything. <laughs> Bing, bing, bing. So, lightning round. Oh my god! <laughs> What's on your bedside table? Uh, uh, Osho. Uh, it's a book called um, "Sex." What's it called? I can't remember. An, a book by Osho, a book by Hemingway, uh, a blindfold, and um, ear like the little things you put in your ear. Your nice plug. Yeah. Yeah. Plug. yeah. <laughs> Perfect. What's your favorite breakfast? <laughs> Uh, buffet. Oh, <laughs> I love a buffet. What are you going for? <laughs> what? What are you going for in said buffet? In said buffet. I mean, variety. Because, <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Oh, now I want a fucking buffet, guys. <laughs> a buffet hang. What turns you on? Uh, a man who can take charge and tell me what's good for me. Oh, me too. I just finished reading literally last night, Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm so embarrassed, oh, but yes. it was so good. <laughs> what is the last great series you watched or book you read? I just finished reading A Hundred Years of Solitude for the second time, and it was even better the second time. Really? Awesome. Beautiful. Oh my God. <laughs> Gorgeous. Describe to us a time you laughed really, really hard. Um, right after Benjamin and I moved in together, he had this horrible, like, week long gas episode. Like, it was like, parts <laughs> are always funny. What have I done moving in with this man? Like, this is, oh, oh how God. am I going to survive? Like, I was sleeping on the couch with the window open. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> so, so that was kind of funny. But then one night we were sitting watching TV and he came back and he, he sat down and he like put his head in my lap and I looked down at him and he kind of looked up at me and I farted really loud. <laughs> and he was like, what? What was that? And I was like, that was my revenge. Amazing. Oh my God. And I then laughed until I cried. Like I could not stop laughing. Oh he was God. so not expecting it, you know, but I was like, yeah. give as good as you get. Ah, <laughs> oh, the joys of cohabitation. <laughs> and finally, what do you love? You. Oh, we love you too. 
Jocelyn, thank you so much. Where can people find you on the World Wide Web machine? Um, Dufflin.com. I'm like Rumpelstiltskin. If you can spell my name, you can find me. So it's D-U-F-F-L-Y-N. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us in this conversation. It's always a pleasure to see and speak to you.